most of my non-meeting work today was just sorting magic cards because mm-hmm. i'm working from home today so a, there was just a giant pile of cards as big as you know as big a, as a watermelon a you're yes. just making like a watermelon size gesture it's, it's so. larger than a watermelon even it might be even three watermelons <laughs> three watermelons can we start just like judging amounts of magic cards by comparison to watermelon like you know a regular deck is like a 30th of a watermelon but this like double sleeve yorion deck is like man that's like it's three like, servings of watermelon yeah it's definitely like a quarter melon <laughs> uh, star city games needs to change all their advertisements too and if you have 50 watermelons or more of cards we'll come to you yeah we'll come to you <laughs> the stores will be like I'm pretty sure I know what a watermelon of cards is, but I'm not sure. Yeah, and if they show up and you don't have 50 watermelons worth of cards, be ready for the thunder. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 222 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Lee, is, is 222 anything? It's kind of nothing, right? Uh, it's just the same number like three times. It's even yeah. less impressive than 333 because it's, it's not the same right. number. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. You got three threes and that's really nice and square. Yeah, that's probably some Illuminati thing, too, so... Sure. All right, well, we'll celebrate that in 111 episodes then, but... Which we'll, we'll definitely just... remember. Yeah. In two and, years from now. You know, we've done basically nothing for any of our other Milestone episodes, so that'll be the one. We, we'll definitely do it that time. Yep. Anyone, 111 episodes, just come back and reference this, because we'll mm-hmm. definitely have remembered this conversation. Yep, hold us to it if you're still listening over two years from now. Anyways, so, Lee, how's it going? Yeah, pretty good. I, I had a very productive day-to-day because I was working from home. I sorted all my magic cards. All of them. Wow, that's impressive. I just really need to do that. Most most of my magic cards that I actually use are pretty sorted. I just need to, like, you know, get my nice basics all, like, organized and stuff like that. See, that is the one thing I didn't do. I just threw my basics in a box. That's like the nice basic box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so those are more or less unsorted. But whenever I want a nice basic, I just go into the box and pick one. So it doesn't really matter. That makes sense. I'm generally just not very concerned about my basics. So see, I it also doesn't matter. <sighs> so we're going to talk about this weekend's stuff. We are a little bit forced into talking about modern because that's all the stuff really that there was this weekend, given that all of the arena stuff had to be canceled because arena just like went down for the weekend. <laughs> so what's funny is that my roommate asked, oh, what format are y'all talking about this week? And I'm like, modern. And he said, is that relevant? And then I said, is there any relevant format? <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about standard a little bit at the end of the episode, just because I have some points I would like to make specifically concerning Hullbreaker Horror. Really difficult, you know, like MTG Meta posted like, hey, we can't really do a week two standard thing now because we don't have any data to collect. 
<laughs> so, you know, I, I can give you a little bit of my impressions of Ladder recently, but other than that, like, we don't have anything to go off of. Yeah, that's just no no events, no even arena opens, mm-hmm. just kind of one moto challenge, I think, and that's kind of it. Yeah. We do have the set championship coming up in two weeks, right? It's like the week after Thanksgiving. I thought it was three weeks, but you may be right. Well, I don't know. But that's coming up. We'll report on that when it's time to do that, whenever that is. I mean, I'm almost guaranteed to watch all of it just on the basis of how slow things are at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm very likely to just Put have it on. it on in the background. Yep. I mean, alternatively, what I have been watching is Jorbs is doing a 130 hearts in 30 days marathon. So I've been watching Jorbs Slay the Spire streams whenever I don't really have anything else on. That's more than four hearts per day. And he's he's making a good clip of it. He's over five per day averaging right now. It's pretty, pretty incredible. I wonder if that's slanted because he, he rotates to the character. This is not important. <laughs> But he is a good streamer. I, I I used to fall asleep to stream all the time because he used to stream very late. It's very calming. Yeah. He's just a chill dude. Yeah. Who is very, very good at Slay the Spire. Just like impossible. Better at that game than I am at anything that I've ever done in my entire life. Honestly, watching him reminds me of how good patience is as just like a factor in any game. Because he mm-hmm. actually does take time to think things through. Yeah. And reflect. Yeah. Every individual like card selection, he says that even if it's pretty clear, like, not going to take one of these. But, you know, if there's one that's an option, he'll sit there for a while and maybe order a sandwich and then <laughs> come back to it. Uh, and he's just not worried about, you know, not not worried about, like, getting it done quickly and not worried about, oh, man, I really got to, like, move forward and make this as entertaining a stream as possible. Like, he's just play and slay the spire at the highest level that he can and talking to chat and it's like pretty charming yeah i take it all of your stream time was monopolized by jorbs well so i keep looking to see if there's a magic stream that i'm interested in first and it has i mean certainly when arena was down (laughs) you know uh, and then none of the modern streamers that i like were on so that that was kind of not an option and then, you know, when Arena came back, I like kept going on and like nobody really was playing standard, nobody serious, like nobody who I actually want to see play standard and get information from watching their stream. So, you know, kind of defaulted to the Jorbs stream, which probably I enjoyed watching a little bit more. <laughs> I mean, that that's fine. Like not every weekend's going to be a hit. And this weekend certainly was not a hit for Magic. No, it, it was a pretty bad magic weekend uh heavily due to the arena being down because there were going to be tournaments and Mm -hmm. like there was going to be a red bull tournament there were going to be at least one or two streamer tournaments and so there would be stuff to watch and there'd be results and there just weren't because arena went down it does this every time a new set comes out and i guess some i don't know because this is definitely after the set came out but they just can't can't do it, man. They just can't well, do you it. You just got to remember the way arena updates works is that you can only add things to the game. You can never improve existing systems. <laughs> nope. Right. That's can't, just not part of it. Can't improve stability. Can't improve performance on older machines. None of that can ever happen. 
just going to add cards to it and that's it. Yep. Bug fix so the game resembles playable. And then add the next set of cards. Yeah, not that Magic Online is any particularly great alternative. A new feature seems to have rolled out in Modern or in, <laughs> on Magic Online, which is uh, some sort of loop detection thing. But it just seems to be drawing people's games if they do the same thing too many times. <laughs> when you told me about this, I'm like, wow. One, that's ridiculous. And two... I cannot believe they're actually adding features to Magic Online, but won't do it for Arena. <laughs> I I don't know if this is like half-finished code that somehow got put into the like release version of Magic Online or something like that. Because clearly like drawing the game from a, a, a loop happening multiple times, like that's not it. That's not when draws happen. <laughs> like it needs to be a, a loop that you can't stop doing. And then you get the draw. So, you know, somebody got a draw trying to splinter twin their opponent to death. Like, that's not even that many iterations. You just do that, like, what, 20 times, 13 times? Yeah. Depending like, on their life. I, I, I don't know what's going on, but, you know, not, not a prize piece of software among anything that Wizards gives us to use. Nope. That's why I, most of my magic playing nowadays is, is majority cube draft. Yes. <laughs> it can't break down on you, and you get to see your opponent. Yes. And and I win a lot. Yeah. There is a little bit of paper magic that we do get to talk about this time, though. So if we're going to start our modern discussion, we might as well start with the results of whatever this Vegas tournament is. It's not, not a GP, just like... Channel think, Fireball Vegas. Did people just call it like MTG Vegas? Yeah. Because I don't think I heard that was the hashtag, right? I don't think any there was any name for the tournament that I knew of. Yeah. So we can definitely talk about this. It is very clear though from looking at the tournament that we are like you know how paper magic always lags a little bit behind the online meta. But yeah. looking at this, it is just like way behind on modern magic the gathering technology compared to what's going on in the challenges and stuff and i some of that is always gonna be the case in this kind of scenario where you're holding a magic tournament as an excuse for people to go to vegas which yeah. is often how i see people justify the vegas tournaments right this and the stakes here were not such that you know the prizes were not gp level prizes even there's no qualification for so you know it's a this is a glorified like local 1k that people fly to and, and there were a lot of good players there mm -hmm. it's just that i think people were less focused on really trying to like i'm gonna win this as opposed to like all right i'm going to this tournament i'm gonna do the best i can with what i already have right and we'll see what happens yeah yeah so i would say Generally, don't take the results from this tournament as a clear indicator of where modern is going or anything like that. Uh, this is not like an end of an end of season SCG open where like everybody is trying to get those last couple of points for whatever reason. Like this is just a tournament. Yeah, like for instance, also this tournament was midnight. Well, not midnight hunt. Crimson Vow was legal for this tournament, but only came out like the Friday before it. Mm -hmm. 
so people had a day and a half to get cards and i don't even know if that was even possible with <laughs> all the shipping delays the covid caused yeah so for instance these amulet titan decks the first like three i looked at were all card in the great creator decks and mm. no one on magical line plays card anymore they're just all playing cultivator colossus which is that new giant green creature right. as the secondary threat after seeing the challenge lists i went back to vegas and control f for cultivator colossus and it's just not there nobody has and any. i think that's a card availability thing because mm-hmm. it's the obvious first card you just like slam into amulet titan even if it's garbage <laughs> well and i've heard people who had tested it and you know we'll talk about this or whatever we're just talking about modern generally so uh on like release i had heard you know like i think ari talking about eh, it's like not that good an amulet it's it's probably not it but it looks like I mean, from the challenge results, three or four in all of the amulet decks. It's it. This is this is the new way to do it. Yeah, there's a couple of stream streamers that love amulet titan and just play mm-hmm. it over and over again. Uh, Francisco and Jose Molnis, I believe, mm-hmm. are the two that I know of play the most amulet. Yep. And from what I understand, these started as like small quantities, and you just kept upping the number of cultivator classes <laughs> as you just always one after it just resolved yeah because your your deck is mostly lands right Mm -hmm. and even like the joke when that card came out or was previewed was does this combo with carus can you just like put in a crew into play bounce it back to your hand put it into play bounce back to your hand put it into play over and over again (laughs) to draw your deck no you can't do that but turns out that since half your deck is lands you just put like five lands into play empty out all of your bounce lands because you bounce lands to your hand all game mm-hmm. so they just all go into play and you draw gas your yeah. hand is all gas and all you're trying to do with that deck is just play big thing like permeal titan usually mm-hmm. until they're dead so once you play a cultivator classes your hand is just full of permeal titans now and if you're lucky you have some valakuts in play and a dryad in your hand right yeah the like criticism of that card that i had heard was like amulet is a deck that basically like outputs a lot of its resources in order to get its titan into play and if you have had to like basically use up a bunch of extra land drops kind of empty your hand out and then you play cultivator colossus with like one land in your hand it's not likely to do all that much but looks like maybe that was like a little bit of a sample size thing and the consensus is turning towards like, yeah, this is really good more often than it's not really good. Well, the the deal is you want to play, you always want to play Primal Titan first because it's so good. Mm-hmm. It's like what the deck is. So Cultivator Colossus is your secondary threat. Mm-hmm. But usually after you've played a Titan, you've grabbed enough lands. So now you're up to at least two lands in hand, probably mm-hmm. more. And then Cultivator Colossus is just gas from there. Yeah. I mean, I I totally believe it from these results, like it is seeing success and people are like kind of universally choosing to adopt it. So I will not go against the grade and say like, this is a bad card without having played a lot with it. And, you know, I, I don't know about Cultivator Colossus and Amulet, certainly. Looks like this is how to do it. The big winners for this weekend, as far as decks overall from like, you know, we, we've got the Vegas tournament. And then we've got the two challenges and we've got a Moto PTQ. It seems like the big winners for this weekend from the broad archetypes, uh, Amulet, Murktide Regent, 
and like hammer time just continues to be good even though everybody keeps saying it's going to be bad this weekend it literally never is so yeah hey, you know. I, I don't understand why people even bother trying to say that like it's just never going to be that bad every every time i i feel like i see people talking about how bad hammer time is now and then it just does great every time literally every weekend it's in top eights like just one the chill <laughs> yeah what sunday saturday yeah it's very good. It's the best Luris deck, and Luris is one of the best cards in Modern, so relax. What I think is hilarious is that I agree that Hammer Time is the best Luris deck, but it's also the Luris deck that least needs Luris. Right. It can grind really well without it. But, like, it's a Luris Saga deck that, like, capitalizes on all of the angles of the Luris Saga deck really, really well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there is one player, I don't know who they are, but they've been putting up a lot of recent hammer time results with just swords in their deck like sword of x and y depending on what they feel like that weekend yeah the one crap i can't remember his name but i do know exactly who you're talking about he causes a firestorm in the <laughs> hammer time discord every time he does it apparently yeah because he doesn't play luris because you can't play luris if you're playing a sword mm-hmm. but he just keeps winning anyway so yes it's so funny to me that he's not even making the sacrifice in order to play cauldra he's making the sacrifice in order to play swords which were like very borderline cards with stoneforge mystic anyways he has played sword of sindhu and steel that's the red black one yep the one you don't know what does (laughs) (laughs) it like has to be for the colors right like i don't want to get furied on this creature and something yeah see i played sword of war and peace the other day in a like a Stoneforge of Secret, it wasn't Hammer Time. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, Protection from Fury and Protection from Solitude. Right. That seemed reasonable to me. Yeah. I, I don't know what sort of Sinner and Steel specifically was doing, but, you know, <laughs> the, the protection colors are, are really good for a deck like Hammer Time. Just like yeah. protection swords in general. Yeah, I mean, one interaction that I've seen people trying out that is really neat. Like, this isn't even in Hammer Time necessarily, but Lightning Greaves in urza saga decks it just like combines really well with stoneforge mystic and also like gives your constructs haste and lets you kill your opponent really really quickly with urza saga so just like removal is a primary way that people are interacting with the creatures that these kinds of decks make in the format and ways of blanking their removal definitely like it's it is rewarding yeah, what's that equipment that's like Lightning Greaves, but is hexproof and cost mana to equip? Is that Swift a two drop? Boots. Is that a two drop or a one drop? I cannot remember. It's a two drop. It's two okay, and so it costs one to equip. It. I couldn't remember it, what the numbers on it were exactly. Yeah. No, you cannot saga out any of the things Haste like that. Things. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I figured someone would have figured that out already, but uh, yeah, there's some reason it was bad that I wasn't considering. Probably because it doesn't cost one. Yeah, is there no, like, implement that, like, sacrifices to give a creature haste or something like that? That does seem like... The red one deals one damage. Right. And there is no other color that gives haste. Yeah. No, if there were any zero or one mana artifact that gave a creature haste, I'm sure we would have seen it. Because that does seem, like, really, really good as your saga get when you're just trying to kill them. I'm just kind of, like, scrolling through Scryfall's one mana equipments. There's some bangers in here, but none (laughs) of them give haste. (laughs) (laughs) Not trying to play a Silvok Life Staff. 
so boots of speed is a one mana equipment that gives haste but it costs a red mana so it's banned from <laughs> yeah that doesn't work that's so sad but yeah so so just to go back to the decks that were doing well you know commented on hammer time because it just always does well so you know don't don't even worry about it keep playing hammer time like it may fade in numbers it often like proceeds a little bit before mm-hmm. just winning a challenge again so yeah. don't be fooled into thinking oh finally hammer time is bad until it's just done bad like three weeks in a row yes uh amulet is kind of back uh even without the it's not just due to cultivator colossus like skyrocketing the deck's power level or anything i don't think it really does that i think it's just like this is the best second plan past primeval titan and it's clear that that is true because there were four amulet decks in the top 32 in vegas and none of them were playing cultivator colossus so it just is like pretty well positioned against the stuff people are doing in in modern yeah one of the big things i've seen people do is just play a million cavern of souls Mm -hmm. uh, between main and sideboard like i've seen as many as four main board just because blue white controls all over the place and their main interactions are solitude and counter spells and if your primeval titan gets solitude that sucks but you can't really stop it Mm -hmm. but you can't stop all the counter spells yes you can stop all the counter spells and you can do i mean they only have so many solitudes right unless they are a really blink heavy deck and then once you have your like valakuts in play (laughs) then you can set up a kill with your dryad just you just need a window from what i understand that's why karn was being played a lot uh Mm -hmm. leading up to the release of crimson Vale, just like a non-solitudable thing that you could have as a backup threat sure uh, I mean, Cultivator Colossus can be solitude, but, like, who cares? You probably got out on the good end of that. Yeah, you did your thing. The The ETB is, is what we're looking for here. You mentioned blue-white control, but it's not just blue-white control. Also, blue-white control splash red and six is a, a main player in this metagame now. <laughs> yeah, we, we started there with uh, the Teferi red and six piles. Mm-hmm. Then people were like, ah, that's ridiculous. Especially once they went into Indomitable Creativity stuff. They're just mm-hmm. The mana's just too bad. We're going back to straight blue eye control. Blue eye control's still good. Yeah. But now we're just uh, straight up splashing red at six again. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you you get to splash other stuff. Like, you also get iteration. expressive iteration primarily. And these are generally Omnath decks, too. So, you know, you just get that mid range card advantage like, game-winning threat on turn four well turn five i guess so you have the potential for that and i i think the main reason that you can do this is just because the triumphs exist and i don't yeah. think the modern mana base just would support it at all without access to two triumphs well it, it would support it but it would come at some cost right yeah like burn would be very strong against all these nonsense four color decks right because you never have a chance to fetch a basic but right. now you can fetch a triumph and a basic and your mana works yeah, and you're good to go. So yeah. put an abundant growth on whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so these decks like mostly work, but I think that we are seeing one of the reasons that Merktide has kind of come back. Merktide is the kind of strongest standalone deck that also has access to Blood Moons in the sideboard. And I think Blood Moon is just phenomenal right now. Obviously, if Amulet's coming back, you want to Blood Moon them. All the Urza Saga decks, you want to Blood Moon them. Any deck that's a blue-white control deck playing Counterspell and Renin 6. You want to Blood Moon them. These four-color decks have been good for a while. 
the Yorion four color decks in like a bunch of different variations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the problem with like keeping them in check is that Blood Moon's supposed to do that, but there's no deck that actually plays Blood Moon well. Yeah. <laughs> like if you play just green red, like mid range with Blood Moons and Maguses the Moons or whatever, the deck just sucks in general. Like it's just mm-hmm. not a good deck. So even you'll win your games where you have Blood Moon and like a threat, but you'll lose every other game. So yeah. that's not good enough. Right. Murktide, you actually don't have that problem at all. Yeah, you got good cards. You get to play Counterspell and Ragavan. I-, I wish you could leverage Blood Moon like in a different way, but I haven't seen a deck try to do that. Right. Like, Magus the Moon is nowhere near as good as Blood Moon because of all of the free. You can still spell. solitude it. Yeah. Like exactly. Like you know, you can hard cast Fury and kill it, or you can always cast Solitude and it doesn't stop that. So yeah, I, I think Magus is like just a non-starter for me i think it just doesn't do the job which is funny for amulet because that's the one that's always better against amulet magus yes because it's so much harder to kill right uh because you don't have like four force of vigors in your sideboard for the maguses of the moon <laughs> yeah yeah and, and so that may be one of the reasons too that amulet is able to power through like it's totally able to kill these blood moons that that people have been playing and I think that the format at large is playing fewer forces of vigor than in past weeks. And basically, like, that is one of the most powerful cards against Amulet. That's one of the things that was keeping it down is just, like, when you go, like, Urza Saga Amulet and they go, uh, end of turn, force of vigor, those things. In the first couple of weeks of Modern Horizons 2, like, when Amulet was really big... And it was like Urza Saga, grab Miami, that go to town. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those early weeks, I remember playing just a Foundation Breaker on turn two to kill my opponent's <laughs> Urza Saga, mm-hmm. and I did not see that person play Amulet for like the next two months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, when Urza Saga first came out, and then people started playing Amulet, and then I just like witnessed the Urza Saga Amulet deck. Without, you know, without the meta having adjusted to it and the Force of Vigors weren't seeing a lot of play. I was just like, oh, wow, this is clearly the best Urza Saga deck. This is clearly the best deck in the format. And I don't know if this can be allowed. But Modern's a big format. People adjusted Blood Moons and and Force of Vigor in particular. Anytime those Force of Vigors leak out of the metagame and they're not in people's sideboards in the numbers that they, you know, can be then I think Amulet can just pop right back up. Yeah. Uh, to that extent, the like the Hammer Time talk also is kind of weird because Force Vigor is also an excellent card against Hammer. Yep. So when people just disrespect Hammer, Amulet also gets better, mm-hmm. which is a weird set of decks to like prop up each other. Hmm. Yeah, that that is really interesting. But so, you know, take away from that, right now is like hammer and amulet are both good and heavily played so maybe bring your force of vigors and blood moon is good against both of those decks too so bring your blood moons and the four color decks you just have yes. to that's why Merc, that's why the merc region decks were doing so well this weekend it's like tw- almost 20 percent of the challenge decks were just merc decks mm-hmm. and that strategy plays bragavan and dragon's rage channeler like two cards that we haven't talked a lot about in several weeks, but are still just some of the best cards printed. Yep. Still busted. Been pushed out a little bit 
by Solitude Fury, but if you play your threats out appropriately and don't get blown out by Fury and don't let them leverage tempo off of Solitude, like, you can manage it. You're playing all good cards. And you have a lot to back it up. The the mm-hmm. Counterspell Suite and the Murktide decks are very good. I mean, certainly, like, the fewer Solitudes are around, the better that deck is going to be, mostly. I... Yeah, but I don't think we're going to be playing in a world anytime soon where you're just like, look around a room and don't see many solitudes. No, just like, you know, running through some of the numbers here. Like I looked at like the top 32 decks from Vegas. Uh, 20 of those decks had a companion, which is just kind of how modern is. 10 of them were running solitude. Eight of them were running fury. For comparison's sake, nine of them are running lightning bolt. So... <laughs> which you know, when we did our breakdowns of heavily the highest played cards in like the mana traders tournaments lightning bolt was always far and away the most heavily played card and now like these are just right there with it so you know that's that's where we're at right now that's what we're doing i'm pre- yeah i'm pretty sure lightning bolt is the most played card in modern of all time mm-hmm. and now we're just get into a format where free spells are competing with it yeah no so it's both being pushed out to some extent because you have free versions of Kill That Creature, which is Lightning Bolt's primary purpose, and also because Lightning Bolt is generally not that great against the Solitude Fury decks, except that if they're ephemerating it, then having a Lightning Bolt in hand is like really handy. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes you're playing a deck like Merc Type where you're, you're not yeah. playing Elementals. Yeah. Yep. And I that is where a lot of the Lightning Bolts came from is... Those Murktide decks. I guess a lot of the elemental-based decks run, like, a couple of Lightning Bolts just to cover. But there's a lot more two Lightning Bolt decks than I've ever seen in in any other version of Modern. Yeah, and we, I mean, you do have the, like, mid-range decks, which are Lurus decks. Mm-hmm. But, so they're a little smaller than your normal deck you might think of when you mm-hmm. th- think mid-range. But just, like, the Grixis Death Shadow, the... The black-red mid-range deck that Spike popularized, these are all kind of the new flavor of uh, I'm going to grind you out kind of deal. Right. And in those decks, Unholy Heat is taking some of the place of Lightning Bolts. So, you know, this is a weird all-time low for Lightning Bolt in Modern, I feel like. For an all-time high for Companions. Uh, Yep. Probably there not true. are a it's lot probably of better in the, uh, the yeah pre-nerf. the pre-nerf days yeah when you just literally could not play not Luris decks in the format i honestly don't even really remember that period of time i just but. didn't play it like just looked so awful what do you what do you think about like the like the mid-range decks the the small Luris decks so i think that those live and die based on how many sanctifier Envex there are in the format, more or less. I think when people, and, and in particular, when Hammer is not playing them in its sideboard, then you're probably like a 52, 53% deck. And then when Hammer sticks them in its sideboard, then you can no longer win a tournament anymore. So you got to pick your spots. And that's a rough place for a mid-range deck that you're supposed to be like have some game against everything and have these long games where you can leverage play skill and card advantage but there is a hammer that people can choose to play so that means your mid-range rock deck you have to pick the right weekend for and you can get rewarded i mean it won uh vegas but i 
don't know. Like, this certainly isn't a reliable go-to deck that you can bring every weekend. Because any weekend when people are like, yeah, Black Red did okay last weekend. I'm going to put these three Sanctifiers in my sideboard. Uh, you're going to lose. Uh, to me, this is like the archetypical deck of, I'm going to pick this deck up because I like it. And I'm just going to be better than all my opponents. Mm -hmm. Like, th that's what I think of when I see people playing this deck. I'm like, right. this is a person who believes they can just outplay everyone. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that that's fine that could be true in some respects the problem is you just like can't outplay sanctifier and back <laughs> yes exactly that cuts against it a little bit and if that's a concern i uh, i like the jund deck more in that regard because it's just way less vulnerable to that card mm -hmm. it's not focused so much on the the black recursion stuff one thing that i i, I feel like I guess you just can't run Urza Saga if you are running Dothy Voidwalker and Kroxa. But, like, being able to Urza Saga as a card advantage thing, like, Urza Saga obviously goes really well with Luris, and it can get you your Pyrite Spellbomb for when they have Sanctifier <laughs> Envec. But, yeah, like, just not a thing that these black-red midrange decks have, have picked up. It's uh, kind of exclusively for the Zoomer Jund list. I believe people tried it really early on when Urza Saga was the busted card everyone should mm -hmm. pay attention to in Modern Horizons 2. Uh, when everyone was doing like, all right, here's my deck, then here's some Urza Saga and some Mistress Bubbles, that kind yeah. of deal. I yeah, believe yeah. it was tried in this deck. It just like didn't really work. Yeah. I mean, I think Kroxa is too important to the deck and ultimately just depends on what you think is important for a weekend. And it is, I don't know. I'm not super into playing Zoomer Jund either, but... The first Rakdos midrange decks I pulled up in the challenge on Saturday was by Electric Bob. And Electric Bob played three Graven Cairns. Mm -hmm. uh, that is the red-black filter land. <laughs> that is a sign of a deck that is very color-intensive. Right. This is a two-color deck in modern. Like, right. And you see, like, an Urborg in, in a bunch of these. And, like... Four Blood Crypt. <laughs> just, yep. just not messing around. I need my mana to produce both red blood. and black. Right. Yeah, well, so I think a big part of the Graven Cairns is that you do want a bunch of Den of the Bugbears in the deck, because that card is incredible. This is the best Den of the Bugbear deck I've ever seen. It's really good, yeah. It's better in this deck than it has been in any standard deck. Just the way that you one-for-one one your opponent, and then this like kills them in two attacks. It's, it's very impressive. And so you have to have a lot of Graven Cairns to go with Den of the Bugbear in your Dothy Voidwalker deck, so... That's that's just how it works. <laughs> uh, did we talk about Harden Scales and how well it did at the Vegas tournament? Yeah, it uh, top aided in first place in the Swiss. Were there more scales decks? I don't. I didn't look. Like but just the one, but not surprised. That's a deck like very few people play. Mm -hmm. Looks totally fine. This is Ingenious Smith as your like, you know, Tarmogoyf. Yeah, as your Tarmogoyf kind of thing. You know, Ingenious Smith Harden Scales is really cute. You get you get the two counters. You get to cheat that once per turn. I think you mean not quite twice per turn, but I'm, I'm getting more than you you want me to get. So I'm getting one over on you. Yeah, I, I actually really like uh, Joel LaPrey. His, his deck list was the one that he did so well at Vegas. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty good. And I my stance on Harden Scales hasn't really changed since the last time we talked about it. Mm -hmm. which is that I think it's just really, really, really good against mid-range decks. 
Sure. And anything that goes like super over the top of it or can control its creatures really well is just not that good against. Yep. And again, an indication, not quite as many Force of Vigors in this tournament as maybe people have run in the past. Or, you know, Hardened Scales usually gets the short end of that. Like if I knew a tournament was going to consist of a ton of Luris decks, I would be wanting, I would want to play Hardened Scales. Mm-hmm. I think that's just an excellent deck to come put Luris decks. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, a big walking ballista tends to give them a really hard time. Uh, it's not just walking ballista. Like any combination of hardened scales or the Ozolith plus either ballista or hanger backwalker. Hanger backwalker, yeah. It's just, it's so much to deal with. Yeah. When you're just doing one for one stuff. And they're not actually contributing, the hard scales player is not contributing that much that's directly targetable. Like hardened scales and Ozolith are. Tricky permit to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, some clear vulnerabilities going forward, including to Blood Moon sometimes. So <laughs> the the boss really makes you want to play like your base green, and then you want to play some white sources and maybe like a red source or so, whether that's Power Depot or Grub of the Burn Willows or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you're like weirdly vulnerable. And you want to play some Citadels, of course. So you have extra fodder for uh, Ravager. Yep, and you have to play Urza Saga. Yep, of course. So you just are a mono green deck with basically zero basics. Yes, and you do have, like, if you get Blood Moon, you can cast your artifacts, but, like, I absolutely would sideboard in Blood Moon against Harden Scales. <laughs> yeah. Um. So going through these lists, a lot of the lists in the Vegas tournament are pretty just kind of stock sort of things all the murktide lists are yeah two blood moons in the sideboard and mostly that continues on in the challenges and i was just wondering like hey like blood moon does seem really good right now i do think it's one of the reasons that these murktide lists are doing well i wonder if there's room to like run an extra one and then lo and behold third place in the ptq blue red murktide with three main deck blood moons so you know somebody is paying attention yeah somebody's paying attention and that person is Kefka27. So, you know, well done. I, I think that that is a really heads up thing to do. Also, a number of cards in the sideboard <clears throat> that I don't quite understand, which is something I actually like to see because mm-hmm. that means they've usually thought about their choices, especially after Kefka went uh, 7 and 0 in this particular PTQ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one Chandra Awakened Inferno, that one yeah. definitely. And a subtlety, just like, all right. Okay. Yeah. The subtlety, it kind of like there's a, I think, a decent number of matchups where it actually like really does it. So I, I'm kind of into subtlety a little bit as a, you know, one or two of just like one of the few ways to effectively meet the tempo of an elementals deck or get one over on an Omnath or a fairy. And, you know, I think it just like fills in a slot nicely that when you wanted to take out some of your removal spells. Okay, yeah, I can see that. I also like subtlety when you can actually attack with the creature meaningfully, which this mm-hmm. deck often can. Right, Like you, right. you want to put a creature into play. Yeah, that 3-3 is pretty real when you start every game with a Dragon's Rage Channel or a Ragavan, so. Speaking of his BTQ, second place was just Enchantress. Yes, no kidding. <laughs> so this is a green-white deck, just base green-white, uh, except there's three Blood Moons in the main deck. Uh, another deck, which is trying to come prepared against all this nonsense yeah other than that the deck honestly hasn't changed much and i think it's another kind of like we've been saying another reason evidence that there's not enough people playing force of vigor because this mm-hmm. deck 
It just crumbles if you interact with it. And yep. if people aren't interacting with it, you're just gonna go over the top and crush them. Like this deck has creatures in it. Sanctum Weaver is really important. Uh, Sithis is one of its uh, card draw pieces. So mm-hmm. th- this deck's not immune to Fury and Solitude, but you definitely draw hands where you don't care about the cards. Yeah. Oh, for sure. When you just go Utopia Sprawl into Enchantress's presence, then the the elementals don't do anything against you. You just way out card them and you get to cast really efficient removal spells in Omthan Ice. But yeah, the Force of Vigor vulnerability is real. The, the cards are extremely pathetic if you cannot stick uh, an Enchantress effect onto the board. So Yeah, if you don't get an early Enchantress effect, your deck doesn't really function because you just run out of stuff so fast. Mm-hmm. You, and you can't keep up solitary confinement and if you've drawn too many of them early in the game you just don't do anything yeah, which is why I, mean, I actually think this is like an incredibly good blood moon deck because that honestly seems to be its main strategy as it's like big threat like it right. just gives you time to assemble your stuff yes yeah I think that that makes a lot of sense uh, I mean a lot of the deck's cards are like fine magic cards but when you don't have an enchantress effect in play your deck includes Mainly two destiny spinners, uh, four sterling groves, four solitary confinements, and a greater oromancy that are just like atrocious cards when you don't have an enchantress effect going. Well, even Utopia Sprawl to some degree, it's good early, but if you don't have, if you can't right. trip it like past turn three or whatever, you're not mm-hmm. actually doing anything. Yeah, like yeah. you're not using the mana. This deck, this <laughs> this deck does have Emrakul in it, but it's not <laughs> like you're playing four or five drops. You know, <laughs> right. I do like the one Emrakul in there. That's very funny. It's because you get to Sanctum Weaver, though. Usually the way this deck actually wins is with Sanctum Weaver Destiny Spinner. Mm-hmm. Like, you just make a bunch of lands and attack them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can theoretically win with Emrakul, too. You can also discard Emrakul to Solitary Confinement to, like, keep that going and deck your opponent is, is one of the things as well. I haven't seen that, but it is possible, yes. <laughs> it, it's a technical in condition that in modern, I think generally you just get to a point where you have 15 mana and you emrickle them. So It's also kind of sick when you play against mill, too. Yep, it's just in there. Main, yep. main deck. Good luck. And anyway, going to game two, I'll be sideboarding in my four ley line of sanctities. <laughs> yeah, that ought to do it. Just a funny deck. Not, not one I would recommend for just general play but is really strong in this kind of like format we're in now where people are both vulnerable to blood moon and not playing force of vigor mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think this was just the right weekend for it but you know don't invest in greater oromancies in order for to play this God, deck no that's a 70 dollar two of it's a 70 dollar blank magic card <laughs> i mean it is actually kind of important for the deck in yeah. my experience so I, I wouldn't recommend cutting it, but it's also just $70, so I couldn't blame you if you did. One of the ways that you can play around Force of Vigor a little bit. but Well, the only way. Yes, I mean, Sterling Grove, but yes, it, it's the same effect, yeah. But, you know, Force of Vigor costs zero mana, and you, you're forced to sequence in a specific way against a zero mana card that they may or may not have. That's not my idea of a good time. Nope. <laughs> All right, that's enough of Enchantress. I want to talk about anything spicy. I mean, the four color decks still exist. They're just all over the place. Yorion plus whatever you want to do with it. Yeah. Generally, expressive iteration finds its way in regardless of like what else you're doing at this point. It's because it's like a great thing to do on a turn where you are casting 
a free spell as your removal spell is make up those cards and get your card selection and take over from there especially like uh mordekaiser's fifth place deck which is just a brought back version of the yorion stuff yeah you've got some ephemerates some brought backs and then some showdown of the scalds mm-hmm. and then like a ton of one ofs like meddling mage knight of autumn wandering mind lightning bolt eladomri's call it's just well see the the wandering mind with the eladomri's call lets you like tutor for something that may get you an ephemerate and then you can really do it from there and then you can ephemerate into another eladomri's call huh I mean, ephemerating Wandering Mind is some real value. Oh, it's good, yeah. It's no Moldrifter, but it's much cheaper. Right. Well, kind of. I mean, you you just don't have to have the Ephemerate right then. I mean, this isn't really a Wandering Mind deck. It's more of a, I'm a Yorion pile, like all yes. the other Yorion piles, but I'm a little spicier. Yes. No, it's a, it's a cool deck. I'm kind of a fan of this one. It's very yeah, I, nicely built. I, I do like brought back as a card. This is if you don't know what it is, it's double white for choose up to two target permanent cards in your graveyard that were put there this turn, mm-hmm. and then you put them back on the battlefield tapped. So you can't like ramp a ton. Well, you can ramp a ton with fetch lands, but you don't get the mana right away. Right. Yeah, very good. Just like a turn where you crack a fetch and use an elemental, you just get a ton of value off of a brought back. It's very easy to just get them from there. You can also like trade in combat. Omnath's a four four and doesn't rumble that much, but if you mm-hmm. want to like make some weird attacks, you brought back just allows you to do that. Sure. It's another uh, Teferi Ren and Six deck, of course. Yeah, of course. That definitely the combo of that like renders you good against kind of everything your opponent could be doing if you have access to Teferi and Ren and Six. Pretty classic combination at this point. Teferi and Ren and Six are just the two planeswalkers that are clearly the best in modern. And they're the best at kind of slowing the game down. Like, Ren mm-hmm. 6 makes sure you can cast your spells, and Teferi just keeps you alive and your opponent either honest or completely crippled. Yes. <laughs> There's, like, no in-between. <laughs> yeah. Almost every deck that's good against Teferi is, like, vulnerable to Ren and 6 because it, like, has, you know, Ragavans and stuff in it. So only a very small handful of decks that are, like, pretty happy about both. Even Hammer Time not being able to play your Colossus Hammer in combat is, like, pretty obnoxious. Or if Teferi comes down and bounces the creature that the hammer was equipped to, like, that can be a problem. Teferi's very good. Yeah. I I had a conversation at the Invitational uh, where someone played against Blue Eye Control a bunch. And they're just like, I'm so... I'm run so hot today, no one's played Teferi against me. <laughs> but that card's just not legal in Pioneer. Like, Teferi Time Rattlers is not legal. <laughs> <laughs> ran very hot by playing a format by by choosing the format that teferi is not legal and that was a great yeah. decision obviously the first time they played pioneer in like a year and a half or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. and that, that also means that they were like playing around the potential for a turn three teferi in a lot of those games <laughs> yeah it's pretty funny but whatever i've seen a lot of discussion i maybe i'm just wrong maybe like maybe it is not the children who are wrong i just don't super enjoy this modern format that is heavily based around like the venn diagram intersecting venn diagram of companions and elementals but like pretty much all of the tweets that i've seen about it is like i'm having a blast playing modern this modern is super fun and i just don't find the elementals gameplay to be that fun so you know maybe i'm a curmudgeon I think a lot of people really enjoy the 
value-oriented gameplay that a lot of the companions lend themselves to. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know a million people love the Luris Black Midrange decks, for instance. Sure. And I know people really enjoy playing Omnath Ephemerate Piles. Mm-hmm. It's just that these happen to be so hyper-efficient that I think your enjoyment is just like, okay, why am I even doing anything else? But if people just like doing that, I can't hold it against him. Yeah. I, I actually like playing Modern. Like, it probably isn't my favorite format right now but if there were a tournament i'd go to it like I'd, sure I'd yeah i mean it. i would i would too but i would so complain about getting point. solituded <laughs> like for instance i, I kind of wanted to talk about the blue white stone forge urza decks because mm-hmm. Eli cassis played something like that the invitational yeah, uh, some other people are playing it. Contra Ego is a big one online who keeps playing over and over these like Yorion piles with Stoneforge and Urza, Thopter Sword combo, and just like Esper Sentinel mid range stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a companion deck. It's always a Yorion deck, but it's not if I'm going to flicker stuff, I'm getting card advantage Yorion pile. It's more of like I'm an artifact deck, but I get to play this free card because there's so many cards I want to play. Yeah. And that to me is interesting because those decks are, they do okay. I haven't seen one top eight anything yet, but they're always kind of hovering around top 16, top 32 of these challenges. Right. I played one at a local. I hated it because it just didn't feel powerful enough. Mm-hmm. But it's still a deck that people are willing to like work on and iterate in this kind of format that has such very clear, <laughs> like, the format lays out what you're allowed to do in it yeah yeah i so one interesting point that i think is kind of at the core of the awkwardness that these decks like why i think they just keep not quite breaking out uh and i I think we were seeing this like very early on in the format with the like urza food decks and stuff oh the asmore decks yeah the the urza asmore decks that you know ultimately just weren't what the format was about weren't weren't good enough there's like this weird tension between playing a bunch of urza sagas in your deck and wanting to go really long and play a super grindy game like you do stone rain yourself and you get a lot of value but you need your deck to not like get particularly hampered by stone raining yourself at some point and that is totally fine for most luris decks that can just like keep operating with one and zero mana spells and it is much less true when it's like, I need to cast an Urza to win this game. And ultimately, that can be a problem. You can try to patch it up by including like a Springleaf drum and stuff. But that is putting, you know, a Band-Aid on like what is a, a fundamental problem with what's going on. Yeah. And to be clear on like my stance, of the Asmore decks early in the format is that I always felt that they just couldn't convert all their resources into a win. Like ultimately mm-hmm. like your best way to win the game was there's a saga. But if your opponent could deal with that kind of easily, you didn't have the shadow spear stick around to actually win you the game. Uh, you, all you did was make a bunch of food and kill some creatures. That's it. That, that doesn't win the game. Like Urza's the card, like Lord high artificer mm-hmm. never converts a bunch of food into actual resources mm-hmm. because the construct is already covered by the Urza Saga, so that's not even like that relevant a part of the card. Right. And flipping over random like oval chase daredevils or whatever is just Yes, garbage. exactly. Yeah, and that's 
that was my fundamental problem with sticking Urza into the food decks. It's just like it was not on plan with the rest of what the deck was doing, and it wasn't adding a component that was like, oh yeah, this really. I I was missing this in the deck. It just didn't. It like kind of was a worse way of grinding, and the deck was capable of doing that already. We needed a a hammer at some point. Yeah. So people cut those and like move to different ways to utilize all the food tokens you could produce uh trail of crumbs being one of them but they all kind of had the same problem where you're just getting access to more of your sucky cards and not actually converting your resources mm-hmm. into ways to win the game uh which is why i really like sam black slash ari lax's vampire food deck have you seen that yeah i actually listed this uh at the bottom of this uh modern section that i want to talk about the vampires decks a little bit yeah, so I haven't seen Spike's version. I assume Pox means Smallpox. Yes. Is there another? Okay. But Ari's deck, and this is off memory, and I know he's been working on it a lot. So it's mm-hmm. it's like a Soren Imperious Bloodlord, the three mana one, mm-hmm. plus Silver Smite, Smoke Ghoul, and an Asmore package so that you can get the Ghoul back and then use the Ghoul with Soren or uh, Anya to just sacrifice for value or mm-hmm. deal damage to your opponent, like immediately. Yeah. Uh, both Soren and Anya do damage by sacrificing Silver Smoke Ghoul. And gain you life. And gain you life, so you get the yeah. ghoul back. Yeah. Uh, and, the, you know, they're blood gas decks as well, and that's like a yeah, free way to get the party started. And then these are great discards to your cookbook or whatever. And, yeah. And and you get the blood tokens, you have a little extra sacrifice, or not sacrifice outlets, but ways to enable casting Asmore, mm-hmm. which is still a good card because she's a good board control tool with the food yeah. tokens. Can you also just need a good game tokens. plan to go with her. Yeah, and I actually do like what Ari's been doing with that, where you're not trying to just discard it, which I still always make food over and over again. Yes. Uh, to kind of no end. You're right. actually trying to put creatures into play and sacrifice them to kill your opponent mm-hmm. and bring them back. And that's yep. and attack your a... opponent with them. They're fine. Yeah, attackers. And attack your opponent. Yeah. Like Anya's a four five for four. That's so big. Right. And you put her into play for free with Soren and she does a lot of work. Yeah, I think there's like there's something there with this deck. It's if nothing else, it's so sweet. But also like in a vampire's deck, Soren is the best. Probably the second best Planeswalker ever printed, right? Like, Oko's still better than Soren, but in a in a Vampire's deck, Soren is among the best Planeswalkers ever printed. Yeah, it just lets you go long and make the game really short. <laughs> yeah. What is... Do you have a link to Spike's version, or can you describe it? Because I don't think I've seen Spike play this deck. I mean, his list is pretty different. Okay, yeah, this is like a mono-black, or I guess black-white just kind of like weird value, like actual like smallpox deck. So cling to dust, discard spells, blood gas and silver smoke ghouls, Sorens and Liliana's smallpox, Edgar charmed groom to put in as your four mana vampire to put into play for free with Soren, uh, and then prismatic ending as your removal spell. So, you know, it's not doing engine stuff. Uh, Is this Liliana of the Veil or yeah. Last Hope? Liliana of the Veil, because you can discard your Bloodgast and Silver Smoke Ghouls. And and Liliana, still a pretty decent card. Just like decks that would want Liliana generally want Luris, and you you pick Luris. I'm more excited about Ari's version of this. Yeah, I I like Ari's version a lot more, but I don't know how much of that is me never seeing Spike playing that deck and also Mm -hmm. having like some small bias against (laughs) 
honestly smallpox decks i've seen for a very long time like smallpox liliana decks have existed forever they've always played bloodcast is like silver snow ghoul plus soren plus like yeah i do think that the soren engine like i i think this is just an indication that like you know, multiple people at the same time have independently come to Blood Gas, Silver Smoke School, Silver Smoke Ghoul, Soren as like a thing. And I think that that at least is an indication that that package is like worth doing or worth exploring in some way. Yeah, I could I could buy that. The Soren Silver Smoke Ghoul stuff has looked very powerful. Yes. Yeah, it's. It's really sweet. I, I'm very into that aspect of it. But yeah, I don't really have anything else to go over for, go over modern, to go over in modern. Um, I don't either. Except I want to give a shout out to. So there's one ad nauseum player who made top eight, uh, long after you know people mm-hmm. stopped playing for ad nauseum. Yeah, there's like a Oracle spoils the whole deck. <laughs> yes, there's like but, one one ad nauseum in a lot of these lists, maybe two. Yeah, but shout out to Artist, the Ad Nauseum player, for just keeping the dream alive. Just keep playing that uh, Lotus Bloom, Phyrexian, and Life combo deck. I mean, it's not a crazy thing to do, right? Like, no. Solitude and Fury don't do anything against Ad Nauseum. That's pretty good. Uh, prismatic Ending doesn't really do anything against it, as long as you understand that they can have Prismatic Ending. And, yeah, you can get all the value in the world, but... If your opponent just puts a Thassa's Oracle into play with an empty library, it doesn't matter. Yeah, most of the problems Ad Nauseum has are all self-imposed. Yes, and those generally are what you have to, like, that's the thing, right? Is you look at the meta and you're like, yeah, this is a time for Ad Nauseum. And then you play the deck and you're like, oh my god, this is why I didn't play Ad Nauseum before. It never never really changes from that. (laughs) I just drew, like three phyrexian unlifes this game i don't or your mana doesn't really work or i don't want to be here you have no card selection like there it's a it's a weird deck that can do some powerful things but it's very often hampered by just like what kind of deck it is i mean it's it's a deck that's playing a lot of bad cards in it like yeah you can't get around that Spoils of the vault bad card angel's grace bad card phyrexian unlife bad card thassa's oracle bad card and then they're all busted when they're doing the thing. But if you don't put the thing together, there's no other route. You can't leverage your cards in any other way. And that, you know, can be a huge problem. And against some of these decks, you don't have that much time to put... The, like, against Merktide, I would never want to play Ad Nauseum. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Ragavan into... Like, Counter Magic is generally not the way that people... You know, Ad Nauseum is okay against Counter Magic... But counter magic backed up by an incredible clock in the form of Ragavan Merktide Regent. Also, counter magic backed up by Teferi, as we've talked about before, is a very different animal. Like one of your main weapons for beating counter magic is Packs of Negation, and when they have a Teferi, that doesn't work anymore. This is also a deck with eight suspend spells that are pretty important to resolve. Yeah, that have no mana cost. So yeah. So you're running into Teferi pretty hard with this one. I didn't, I didn't want to bash on Ad Nauseum. I just wanted to like shout out this person for being able to overcome all of that and still top eight. Oh, for sure. No, I just wanted to take a second and explore like the reasons why it is a decision that makes sense and the reasons why it's probably not a decision that a lot of people are going to. You're not. It's not going to see widespread adoption. Yeah, it's a pet deck. Yeah. 
I just want to like talk really briefly about standard. I've, you know, I've played some recently from the challenge. Kane's blue white Kane is just like, you know, top eights every standard challenge these days. So well done to him. Definitely has a pretty deep understanding of this format as it's developing and showed up with blue white Celestis for X Hellbreaker Horror. And uh well, I, I mean I guess pretty... this is I guess this is this is really just the Jeskai deck again, but yeah, I pretty comfortably white. call this Jeskai. It's got Teferi and Doomscar. Yeah, but we're still on four unexpected windfalls. So. Yeah, yeah. I guess this <laughs> we're is not really... really getting rid of red. Yeah, but it's a little lighter. It's got Teferi. It's got Doomscar. You know, you got to put your deserted beaches in the deck. Uh, but yeah, pretty similar. I do just want to take a minute and like talk about hullbreaker horror for a second i think in particular listening to the last episode of the arena decklist podcast i was very troubled by the level of i don't think hullbreaker horror is there's no indication that it is breaking standard right now right like i think it's i think it's just the a good end game yeah like that's kind of all i think about it i I mean i have beaten it with mid-range decks by putting a clock on and then terminating it like that's right that's doable you can't terminate our runs epiphany <laughs> but you, you can sure as hell terminate a creature yeah. and sure they can have like a bunch of mana open and like bounce it or bounce your terminate or and keep playing that game but the reality of standard is you're putting pressure on them before they cast their seven mana card mm-hmm. so they're often going to have to cast it without having any answer to a terminate yeah and that's I, like vanishing verse or valor stance. So I think the main answer is to Hullbreaker Horror. Yeah. And it may be that this format shakes out and it's such again, like, yep, all you can do is blue decks and as low to the ground monocolored faceless haven aggro decks as you possibly can. And maybe that is where it breaks down to be. But that is like not really Hullbreaker Horror's fault because we had that exact same thing, but even worse with All Runs Epiphany. So I also think this is like one of the best mono white shells we've had in a very long time. Uh, the mono white deck is the best deck in the format. Like it's also just the cards are just very good, irrespective of mm-hmm. like what kind of format they're in. The deck is just well rounded and strong. Yep. Yeah. It and it has great one drops into Luminar Gasprint as like one of the best twos we've ever seen in a mono white deck. If you could pick any threes from all of Magic to put into your mono white deck, like you wouldn't reach outside of what's available in the standard. Like we have plenty. Yeah, not too far. Like Elite Spellbinder, Adeline, those are excellent. Mm-hmm. And then Adeline Cathar. puts Bremaz to shame. <laughs> yeah, it's for like as overrated as Bremaz was, and as much as people like wanted to put him into decks that like he wasn't going to perform in, like. Adeline like takes it in the opposite direction and received just like none of the hype because Brimaz was so medium. And then, oh, this card just like has six power and makes a token, makes an extra token over Brimaz. Like this card is crazy good. Yeah, that's very strong. It's, a, it's the, the white deck is just plus it has a like the best main land. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Faceless Haven, very, very good. So uh, the white deck like the format could be the white deck versus uh i don't know hole breaker but i think there is room for mid-range decks and we still see 
people play around with vampires like Pygonti got eighth in this challenge with a vampires deck mm-hmm. that i know jerry has been high on or at least been playing which looks fine i'm not saying it's good i'm not saying it's terrible it's just a deck that just didn't exist before yeah no i like that this deck exists for sure and more clerics decks as well uh clerics decks in like ninth and 11th place of this tournament you know these decks aren't that fast they're not that you know they have like elite spellbinders to do some disruption and stuff but if this is a format that's entirely defined by hellbreaker horror then these decks shouldn't be playable right and they're okay so maybe the format does develop to a spot where it's like oh man hellbreaker horror is really just pushing all the mid-rangey stuff out but I don't believe that we are there yet, and I don't think that it's fair to like draw that conclusion from ladder matches where Hullbreaker Horror is on one side of the table or the other and being very good. Like I just don't think the results so far bear out that this seven mana blue spell is putting a chokehold on the format. Certainly not in the way that Allrun's Epiphany was threatening to do. So Yeah. I mean, it's still a great card. Like, I yeah. don't think people can win if you untap a Hullbreaker Horror. I just don't no. think it's possible. No, absolutely not. But, I mean, a lot of the games don't even get there. No, oh, a lot of the games, like, well, this is the turn I can cast my Hullbreaker Horror, but I'm getting attacked for 11, and I can block four of it. So, no, I'm dead. Any, did you have, was this just your, uh, kind of your Hullbreaker Horror section of the show? Yeah, I just don't think it's that big of a problem and it was kind of a bummer i honestly didn't even finish the last episode of arena decklist because it just bummed me out hearing this what what i felt was like pretty weak analysis applied to hullbreaker horror i stuck it out i I liked jerry expressing hope over vampires which (laughs) bore a little fruit in this challenge yeah the, the eighth place list the vampires cards do look strong i don't know if like the the tribal synergies have any long-reaching power because like our next sets are kamigawa which has none of the innistrad <laughs> tribes at all and probably no humans, blood tokens in it yeah and then i mean i don't know what streets of new Capenna has in it maybe there's vampires there but um, i think it's probably safe to say the way that they've just not done any real block planning for the past three years there's mm-hmm. just probably no more vampires coming no probably not um, I will say, you know, our evaluations of the vampires cards, I think we're just a little like we didn't quite see how these cards would work together. And I particularly didn't quite get until playing some of the limited format, just like how easy it is to create a decent number of blood tokens that you can then use for things. Just like a lot of these things, just they're not necessarily blood token generator engines. Like blood type harder harvester kind of deal. Right. That's the two drop that makes a blood and you can sack it to kill things based on the number of blood you have. Right. You just like get a blood along for the ride with a lot of these cards. And that adds up to a a lot of of those resources. I did call out Volder and Epic here, though, which is a card I still like. (laughs) Yeah, I I think it's kind of key to these sorts of decks. And Ari's uh, modern list is running like a couple of those, right? Yeah, I think they've gone in and out. I don't know where he is currently on them, Mm -hmm. but I've definitely seen him play around with it. And uh, Blood Fountain, I think, is the black artifact. Yeah, That was in some of the early versions of that deck, but I don't think it's in any of them now. I have to imagine... I have not been paying attention to Pioneer. I have to imagine there's some nonsense, powerful Soren stuff going on in Pioneer right now. 
I I haven't checked. I I, I look at Pioneer decks far less often than every other deck type, mm-hmm. uh, and Pioneer is always really slow to adapt to new cards, right? Because either people are really psyched about an article someone wrote and just make a bunch of decks, or nothing happens for a really long time until there's like a Pioneer premiere event, like yeah. BTQ or whatever. Then that's what people actually try. But Pioneer does have Silver Smoke Ghoul and Soren and all the new vampires, including blood tokens to allow you to s- discard your Silver Smoke Ghouls. And I, I feel like there's a recipe for success in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ari is playing more Voldaren Epicures in his food deck than Ragavans. <laughs> <laughs> and there are three Ragavans. <laughs> Dope. I'm into it. Let that be a testament of the power of Voldaren Epicure. <laughs> we knew it. No, we called it. Like, that card is is good. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just a one mana card that does like three different things. Yeah. So yeah. It's got to be worth something. <laughs> this is Red Thraven Inspector. Kind of. If you're Less leveraging those blood tokens. To any other card. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about today? Oh, I think I'm full. We're, yeah, I think I I'm mean, good too. It kind of sucks we just had no standard played this weekend because i know there were tournaments set up for it and i would have liked to see a lot more expansion like maybe hope Horde does take over and that would have mm-hmm. been useful to know but we just can't right and i'm not saying that can't possibly happen yeah. i'm saying we don't have the information showing that that is happening and i, I think it's way too early to get you know to bug i out also have it. had those moments I, I like empathize with brian a little here because he was really tooting Holebreaker horse horn rightly the card's really good mm-hmm I but I've definitely played decks where I'm like, all right, I've got to be missing something because I'm just winning way too much. I have to be getting something broken, and it's just like that people hadn't caught on yet. Whenever I was doing it, mm-hmm. and I never really made that call like one week into a format. But you yeah. know, gotta stir the pot up a little <laughs> bit. I don't blame it for that. Yeah, I I do. You know. Zan rightfully gets a lot of shit when he like tweets about making number one mythic with indomitable creativity in in historic and how it's like so good and should get banned. And I feel like, you know, a lot of communities response to people's takes is like determined by their popularity within the community rather than the actual quality of the take. And uh, that, that that's all I'll say about that. I mean, that's society. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can't. I don't have a much of help fix for that one. Nope. I yeah. I don't know how to fix that, but I can identify it when I think I see you know examples of it. So that's why I keep all my scorching hot takes to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, because nobody will really hold us accountable because everybody who's listening already kind of likes us. Hopefully. If I mean, not, any you know, of the hate listeners out there, let us know. I, I, I do want to know if you're out there. Just listening in spite. It's been <laughs> a way to punish yourself, I guess. Just fuming listening to the MTG Grindcast. That CCR guy, I cannot stand him. Well, if you don't hate me and you want to play some Halo Infinite on Xbox, let me know. Most of the people I played with in middle school are no longer on Xbox Live. <laughs> Or are not on their <laughs> same accounts. So let me know. You can. I'll. I'll drive. You can be the gunner, and uh, we'll have a good time. So. And he so does it, need 
friends for this because I I cannot help him. No, I don't. I, don't, I do not like playing Halo. Lee is not a first-person shooter kind of guy, so that's that's okay. That's totally fine. I do genuinely believe, you know, that Halo is a a gentleman's first-person shooter. It's just oh, it's not the CS:GO type of deal. It's a little less uh like puts a priority on youthful reflexes as the like end all be all uh and you know you mess up your positioning a little bit but it's okay like you've got a shield you can duck behind a rock you can you know just understand the weapon matchups a little bit understand feathering the trigger to to space out your shots and you know even an old man like me can get some kills so that's that's what i like about it you love to see it but finally a first person shooter will be able to play in the retirement hall yes <laughs> Uh, thanks to everybody so much for listening. We do really appreciate your time. If you'd like to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McLeo. Thanks a lot. And have a great week. Goodbye. Goodbye.